From the Church of the Nazarene and Mesoamerica Genesis, you're listening to the Worthless Servants Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the Worthless Servants Podcast. I'm Scott Armstrong and we're definitely excited to be with you today. We're kind of continuing a conversation that we had two weeks ago in episode, what was it? 137. And so this is episode 138. We're going to be talking about post-pandemic challenges for this time, the global or the regional church. Of course, we talked about the local church last time. Before we even dive into that, I need to introduce a few people to you. Here in this room, we have Dario Richards to my right. Hola. Yeah, there you go. He's getting ready. Listen, he has been here for several hours, not even a day, and he is already speaking Spanish. This is really good. good To his right, Natalie Franco. Hi. To her right and to my left, if you're keeping track. I always wonder if there literally are people keeping track at home. But anyway, uh, Emily Armstrong. Hey, everyone. So let's dive in. Uh, Our regional director, I'm going to kind of... uh, review a little bit what we said in in the last podcast. Recently, our regional director asked all of us as regional coordinators a very interesting question. The question was, what challenges do you foresee, foresee or do we foresee as coordinators the church facing after the pandemic? He needed that uh, to be answered pretty quickly, so we kind of uh, jotted some things down, and I realized Emily copied me in on the email, and I copied her in on my email, and our responses were so different. So let's kind of start this episode this way, Emily. Uh, What were some of your responses? Because you kind of took the macro level. You took kind of the level of, well, as a region, here's what we should be doing, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And um, even more specifically, I didn't just think from a regional perspective, but I thought from the two ministries that Scott and I over the past two years have been seeing, what's been going on in the ministries of Genesis, what's been going on in the ministries of Global Missions, which is discovering, developing, and deploying missionaries. Well, I can tell you one thing that happened in those two years was we didn't really deploy many missionaries. We still worked as hard as we could to discover and develop through some missional activities and uh, through an amazing school of leadership that was developed and a lot of that. But like deployment just came to almost a standstill. It wasn't completely stagnant out of Mesoamerica, but it was very like molasses slow. Especially for long-term. For like, long-term like placement. We still were able to do some short-term projects and right. different things. But yeah, long-term missionaries, ugh, it was difficult. Yeah. So one of the things that we are super excited about is just over the past, I would say easily six to nine months, we've started to have like the uptick again of people that are saying people that are ready to go, like they want to go Um, where the church is ready to send. And it feels like now that we're post-COVID and we're figuring out how to live with it among us and uh, what we need to do in order to be a part of that, that we're ready to be back in like the same rhythms that we were of discovering, developing, and deploying, not just staying in this discover, develop, discover, develop, discover, develop, (laughs) and deploy. And um, one of the challenges that I started to see in the beginning, and I was hoping that it was just, oh, that's a one-off case. Like that's not something that's going to happen. But now I literally in my job have seen it four or five times over the past six months. And it's not like we're processing dozens and dozens of candidates all at the same time, but 
I would say six times out of maybe a dozen, 12, um, that the local church pastor and or the district superintendent is very excited that somebody wants to serve as a missionary. Super excited that there's somebody in their church or their district that would like to go and serve somewhere else. But they have confessed that we don't know if we can financially support a volunteer assignment. And um, we had been making a lot of traction in Mesoamerica in volunteer assignments. And a part of what we've always seen as a part of volunteerism, the more that we can help the church to support volunteerism and the money that goes towards that, then they realize we really can be a missionary sending church. Like we did this for a period of six months. Why couldn't we do this? The culture of generosity. We talked about that on a been thinking with Dario. Like we see volunteer as a path to creating a culture of generosity. And all of a sudden, I felt like I started to see multiple leadership levels that were like, all of a sudden, we were stepping back 10 years, like we had dialed the clock back of, we're really glad that somebody can go, but we don't know if we can commit to the financial side of sending. So that's one thing that uh, that I wrote down is I'm afraid. I don't know. I don't even know if I want to use the word afraid, but I am challenged in our ministry that um, is definitely, there's a huge piece built around the local church being empowered to financially send missionaries and they feel afraid that they can't do it or whatever their um, circumstances. I even wrote in the article, they have money, but they just don't know how far it's going to go. You know, with the global inflation that's happening and like to make a commitment to a year or two years, I I think to them just feels really overwhelming. So that's one of the things that I, that I saw like from this big regional level that missionary mobilization is, is taking a change and it's going to be a challenge for us. We did seem to have some momentum for through 15 years of this ministry and, and really openness, Hey, God will provide and we'll do it. And I think there's, that's still there for some leaders and some districts and churches. Uh, but we've started to sense again, how it was at the start of that first right. 15 years, right. you know, where you'd tell somebody, Hey, isn't excited. Isn't it exciting to send missionaries? And they're like, I mean, in concept, yes, but we're not ready or we don't think we can do that. What are some other challenges that you all see strategically or from kind of like a, a, a global or regional level? Yeah, I think one of the major ones for me um, that I mentioned uh, some podcasts ago is just a shift that we're seeing happening in Africa and Asia, how they are growing, um, how the North American region is declining. Uh, just the potential implications of what that would look like, you know, you know, if if that continues to happen at a rapid rate, like how does the how does the the structures of our church begin to shift to accommodate that? Um, and it's a challenge, but I think it's a good challenge to have, you know, as a global church. You know how 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 do we really move into being global? You know, and, and dealing with, you know. In, in another organization that I know of, as that began to happen, you know, there was a case where most of the conferences and gatherings were happening in the United States. But then when you have another world region growing at the rate that they're growing at, and then there's difficulty getting to the States and visas, et cetera, a decision had to be made to shift, you know, where we gather to another part of the world. And of course, that's a whole, that's a major shift, you know, just to how things are done. Um, so I actually excited to see how we manage and navigate that particular mm-hmm. challenge. And, and the one that I would attach to that 
is does it need to be a greater level of decentralization you know i know our just our past um district assembly and raising the issue again even of ordaining elders you know does there need to be a greater um sharing of power and authority and you know it's a it's and, and i guess that was a conversation a pre-pandemic conversation but now the pandemic has really you know again caused us to look back at how our church functions you know we're um we're the the authority the power the structures um, what they facilitate, what they stop, and then just what adjustments need to be made to make sure that we are functioning and flowing as we should, and that the focus remains on making disciples. You know, so so there are challenges, but I think they are good challenges. You know, they are good challenges at, at this time in our history to have. You know? I feel like this is very important. What you're raising, one out of every three Nazarenes in the world is from Africa. Oh. One out of every three. And you would have to ask then, is one out of every three of our leaders well, you know, exactly. from Africa? Now, on a general superintendent level, yes. Mm -hmm. There are six general superintendents, if someone's listening and doesn't, doesn't know how our denomination, crazy denomination works. But there are six general superintendents, the highest office in our church. Two of them actually are from Africa. Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. That's yeah. cool. However, our general board still does not reflect right. that the United States now is is uh, less than twenty percent of our overall membership. Right. So we need these are growing pains. These yeah. are things that we need to discuss, and sometimes are taboo. Yeah. Sometimes yep. people don't <laughs> want to talk about these things. But uh, even as you said, decentralization, both of leadership. Who, who could ordain? Mm -hmm. Who could uh, direct a, a district assembly? Right. Um, are we requiring too much from one single leader yeah. <laughs> or from six leaders? And then, of course, General Assembly is coming up next year. Yeah. General Assembly. And I do praise the Lord. Our, our leadership has said we're going to have, I think they're calling them caucuses or committees beforehand. Right. On the, They understand that not everyone is going to be able to get a visa. Yeah. Uh, economics are, are prohibitive for many. Uh, and they're trying to say we want to extend General Assembly and the conventions so that everyone does have a voice. But man, it's going to still be as we're in these growth pains of what this looks like. Um, I, I'm afraid that three fourths of the people, and maybe, maybe I'm wrong about this, but, uh, that two thirds or three fourths of the people in Indianapolis, Indiana, in the United States for general assembly will be from the USA and Canada, yeah. uh, that are, that are making those decisions come the actual time of the general yeah. assembly. Yeah, that's right. And coming back to what Emily was saying, how difficult it has been for the district to raise the funds and everything to send missionaries. I also think another of the challenges that has is, and she was writing about that in her article, it was the discourage of local pastors. Um, because many of our pastors are wondering, uh, Emily was writing and I want to just point at it. Uh, many of our pastors are wondering why people have not come back to the church building for services. And they have lost key members do sickness, death, and or it could be just because of lack of commitment. And these issues also doesn't help for the pastor to want to send missionaries from his or her congregation. And I understand because I've been in that position, and I praise the Lord that my pastor 
loves the calling and he he's with me during this process but i've seen how he has been discouraged as well mm -hmm. because key leaders have have been leaving even the country mm -hmm. and now we are just few of leaders and i'm just telling him I still have this calling of missions. And he's like, okay, okay, mm -hmm. I'm with you. Yes. I will not say anything. Like, I will not stop what God is doing in your life. And I praise the Lord again because of my pastor. But there are some pastors that are, are discouraged, as yeah. Emily was saying. And it's something that we, we understand. It's not easy to be a pastor. It is not easy to work alone most of the time and to, to lose Um, someone that it has been helping you in the ministry. Mm -hmm. But also what my pastor is saying, and I think it is something to encourage other pastors is we are not just losing someone. We are multiplying. Mm -hmm. And it's it's something that uh, I think we should start thinking about um, when we feel discouraged about what we have right now in the church, what we could have in the kingdom. Mm. Um, maybe we, we will not be able to see it in our local churches, but then the church is going to be multi multiply. And Diana said that in, I remember mm. Diana, Diana Gonzalez from Salvador. She said that she had the same situation with her pastor, former, former missionary as uh -huh. well. And she went to Guatemala and now there is another church of the Nazarene in Guatemala. And now she's back in her, in, in, in her church. He's, she's still serving in her church. And now she's a greater leader serving in her church, maybe trying to, to, to be in another part, maybe trying to multiply again. Uh, but she came back to her church and now she's serving even with more impact yeah. where she came from. This is actually an interesting example because three years ago when her church and her district sent her out, it was like, we don't know how it's going to happen, but we have the faith and this is going to happen post pandemic or as we're coming out of a pandemic, she still wants to serve. And her district now, I don't know if I should say this on the podcast, but, but we've struggled with her district uh, to, to say, because now they're like, we don't know if we could do it. And what changed in three years? It was, it was that there was a difficult time, right? Now, Emily, you had mentioned uh, we don't, one of the things you wrote, uh, our regional director, as a result of this question, right? What are the challenges post-pandemic? You said, we, the church, still don't have a strong presence in the biggest cities of our region, and it's hurting us during the pandemic. Could you speak to that? I'm interested about that. M many know that Genesis, that the, one of the ministries that we, that we are coordinators of, deals with really city impact. So why does not having a presence in the big cities, especially coming out of a pandemic, make any difference? Yeah, I think I've said before on this podcast that I'm not like a stats person, but I am a healthcare person. <laughs> I'm, I'm a trained nurse and uh, all throughout the pandemic, I constantly was like reading as much literature as I could to understand it and know how it was uh, forming and passing and everything that it was doing. And um, anybody that wants to open their eyes, even just a little bit to the places that were hit hardest in this pandemic, it's the big cities. Why are where the big cities hit the hardest because there's a dense population, because people live in apartment buildings, because you can't socially isolate. Um, it happened in barrios of the big cities where people 
literally share space in homes all the time. And so to me, as I started to think through a challenge of the church is there's literally cities that now are undergoing um, not just the social disrupt that children not going to school for an entire year in many cases um, is starting to cause, but they're also living in an economic disrupt as we start Mm. to see the global inflation take place. And all of those things like they are huge deals in the city. Uh, the city is what the influence of the world is. And so if the church is not have a presence in the city, then that also means there is not that, Dario, you said, I, I can't remember exactly when you said, but I remember it caught my attention that you said something about like with a Christian bias or a Christian influence. I think there is a space in the city for the Christian bias, the Christian influence in the education of our children mm-hmm. uh, that have not had a place to go for a year and that are way behind. I mean, some of our children, I can only speak to our uh, local context here in Santo Domingo. I know children that we are two and a half years out from the start of the thing, and they still have not gone back to school. They were constant attenders of school before the pandemic. And now they're just, it's like they got out of the habit, their parents got out of the habit and they're just not going. And I feel like there's going to be an entire generation that grows up in all of these cities all over the world that the church, again, if you look back into the historical construct of even like hospital work and education, a lot of that rested on the church. The Mm -hmm. church did that in society before government took it over. Mm -hmm. And so the church like has taken its hands off because the government does it now. But I feel like there is such a space for the church to be like, no, we need a hands-on approach to know how to care for the sick and the dying. We need a hands-on approach for the education of children that are underserved. We need a hands-on and we just literally don't have enough of a presence in our biggest cities to even jumpstart being the hands and feet of Jesus Christ in those social situations. You know, that, that's, that's very good. Um, and I think, I think what I love about this conversation is even though we're talking challenges, what is screaming loud is also the opportunity that exists in the midst That's of the true. challenge, you know? And and as you we were mentioning on a previous uh, podcast, you know, just thinking back to how can we, again, meet real needs. They, they want, we know what crises do, they magnify needs. And as a church, uh, obviously we must continue to operate from the perspective of meeting needs. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, in many ways, we can be very one-dimensional in how we pursue that. But I think the opportunities are now emerging uh, for us to, to just be creative, you know, just be innovative and to be bold in some ways in identifying these needs and meeting these needs. And what the greatest opportunity that I see coming out is actually for missions again in the sense of their local needs that require a missional response. Mm their original needs that require a missional response and their global needs that require a missional response. And I think uh, part of the journey of districts feeling empowered or willing again to, to, to send persons and to fund persons is going to be grounded in us actually doing it. You know, if start doing it on a small scale, you know, start doing it in your city, in your context 
And that begins to create, you know, the synergy, creates the activity, the, you know, the process necessary to move to the next level. Yeah. As you see what God does in your context, with the literature that you have and you realize you could trust him to do something bigger and something greater. And uh, eventually, you know, it just has a snowball effect. And I think one of the mistakes you would make as the church is if we fail to respond to meeting the needs of our communities, of our countries, of our cities in a way that glorifies God. And, and you know what I mean? You know, it's like that incarnational type of ministry where we dress Jesus, yeah. you know, with all of the solutions the world needs and we give it to them, you know. And I think that once we're able to do that, that we can, it wouldn't just have obviously the impact of changing the societies and cultures around us, but it would change us as well. Right. You know, we become bolder, we become more sure that, you know what, we can send, we can support for persons to go, but yeah. it, it can't just be a conversation. It has yeah. to be something that Action. we do. You yep. know, we have to be to act on it. You know, you know as we've been talking, I've, I've thought structurally how, you know, even you're talking about practice, you know, like put this into practice. This cannot just be theory. And uh, you had also mentioned decentralization. A lot of our conversation uh, reminds me of a book that I recently read that's called The Starfish and the Spirit. Mm. Now, there was one from 12, 15 years ago that was mm. The Starfish and the Spider. And, and that was more based on businesses and organizations and, and things like that. But The Starfish and the Spirit is written by Lance Ford and Rob Wagner and Alan Hirsch. One of my favorites, Alan Hirsch. <laughs> um, um, Fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. But essentially the idea of a starfish is for a starfish, even if the head, like you can cut off any portion of the starfish and then literally it will grow into another starfish. So like, I don't know if you know this, but like literally one leg can be cut off and can be separated. And within a certain amount of time, instead of having one starfish with one less leg, you will have, it will have regenerated that. And the leg, the actual leg will have become a new starfish. I didn't I, know about the leg yes. would become a new starfish. I knew mm. the old starfish would create a leg <laughs> yeah. again, but that's yeah. interesting. Yeah, exactly. So uh, like that is uh, thinking about obviously the difference then between that and a spider, a spider, you cut off the head, you're done. Praise I mean, the Lord. Praise the Lord. Yeah. Yes. You did it well, God. Starfish regenerating, spider dying. <laughs> yes, yes. We want it to be that way. Yeah. But how much of our structure on a global level, on a regional level is based on only such and such a leader yep. can do that. Mm -hmm. Only such and such a leader has to give that approval. <sighs> how can we, how much can we share? <laughs> Literally, there are systems in place where we are waiting for something that's totally missional critical, mm -hmm. sending out a missionary, meeting a need for the city, uh, uh, something else that sits for months because we're waiting on one person's signature, yeah. one person's signature. Um, I am not advocating for having no authority, for having no structure. That's not what I'm saying. But we have got to come out of this time and say we have learned that the church being the church means that great ideas will come from the bases. It doesn't have to just come from the top. Mm -hmm. That if we have someone that is doing the mission of Christ on the local or district level, let's empower 
empower them. Let's facilitate them instead of putting them in a straitjacket and saying, oh, you're not, you, you forgot to get the, the one approval and you forgot to submit this exact form. And you say, I, again, it sounds like I'm against some of this structure. I'm not, but I think our structure does need to adapt. Yep. Yeah. The, the two things that in, well, in the pandemic as a pastor, that I reflected on because our church it closed for a few weeks. We had no services, etc. The first thing that I noted was how many things we do at church that have no contribution to eternity. You know, it's just mm. a part of the show. You know, mm. um, we come oh. to the main event on a Sunday morning. We have to put on a good show. And then when COVID comes and strips all of that away, you realize that the essence of what is really critical, uh, how much, you know, we add on and we include that has no contribution on the flip side similar to what you were sharing scott is i also reflected on how many things about our structure actually hindered people from meeting jesus you're saying on a local level yeah, on a local level you wow. know like how many things just about the structure um hinders other people from um meeting jesus or discovering and developing and actually being deployed into their own calling um and just the bureaucracy the right tape you know the 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 hopes that hills you have to climb and hoops you have to jump through just to do what it is that you feel you know god has called you to and as you say it's not to it's not to remove the need or the i think it's biblical to have accountability to have mentorship structures you know to have uh, support and our voices of approval um, but on the flip on the flip side i think post pandemic we have to be very intentional in helping to facilitate persons living out what god has called them to yeah. um, in a manner that does not um, discourage them mm-hmm. or in a manner that doesn't make them feel as though to do this, I have to find an alternative oh, yeah. because that's what happens. You know, they go find opportunities in other species, other denominations, other churches, mm-hmm. other, you know, avenues to be able to live out and what we could support and what we could facilitate. So, so again, it comes back to the decentralization. How do we, how do we talk about the distribution of who has what power, who has what authority, which are cringe-worthy yeah. words as they think about church and as we talk about power and authority, you know, ah, it's okay, but it's a reality. Yeah. That, that is what we are needing. Uh, I even put in the article and, and what hits me is that we have an extreme local, it could be local, but also all these levels, we have a lack of malleability is what I put. You know, <laughs> like, I, what, 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 what structure is malleable, you know, literally structure. We want it to be structured. I mean, you know, um, it, it, that repetitive of course. Um, but you know, we must be flexible. The church must, must be organic, yeah. you know? Well, I, I, I think this is good. My goodness, we could talk about this and, and maybe, I mean, we might look back at this episode in a year and be like, we forgot about some crucial things, right? <laughs> I want you to know, listener, if you are, if you're hearing this and you're saying, ah, I have opinions about like really what the church could look like. We want this podcast to be a, a forum for, for, for provoking conversations amongst your leadership and in your local churches. And so contact us on mesoamericagenesis.org, subscribe, rate, review, let somebody else know about this podcast. And uh, I think that's it guys. Uh, Unless there's something else, we are the worthless servants and I'm Scott Armstrong. 
I'm Dario Richards. I'm Natalie Franco. And I'm Emily Armstrong. And we'll talk with you next time. For more information, visit us on Facebook or at mesoamericagenesis.org.